0: Good evening, everyone. I am really glad to see that you braved the storm. It took a lot of courage to be here tonight. A uh, couple of announcements. This time next Sunday evening, we hope to begin a series of answering some questions that you may have about the Bible or theology, question about life that we can relate to the scriptures. I'd uh, like to encourage you, if you do have questions, please let me know by tomorrow. Otherwise, we're going to have a pretty short series. We have about three questions so far. So if you do have a question and it's of general interest, then we'd love to be able to handle that in the next several Sunday nights. Two Sundays from now in the morning, we'll be having baptism. If you're interested in being baptized, if you particularly let Pastor Rich or Pastor Kevin know or the office, and uh, we'd be glad to lead you through everything that needs to be done prior to that. So that's two Sundays from Today, it'll be during either of the morning services of your choice. So that's something that we haven't done before. So I encourage you, if you would like to be baptized, what a great time. can't think of any good reason why a believer should not be baptized. So let's look to the Lord together in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to be together tonight. We're together for a purpose, and that purpose is to honor you, to glorify you and to better equip ourselves to be able to serve you better. So thank you for that. Thank you for each one who's here, for those who are on the way. Thank you for all that goes on with the Wana. Thank you for all that's gone on throughout the day. And we ask that nothing will have simply been time spent, but that it will have been time invested, invested in lives, and the dividends would be great, even today and tomorrow and throughout the week, that those dividends will begin to show. Thank you for the importance of your word. Thank you for the importance of the Christian walk. and thank you for your presence here with us tonight. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.:
1: Please stand. This morning, um, please stand. This morning, we uh, looked at Matthew and realized that he was a loved person because God looked beyond his sin, and uh, all of us are in that same situation. We are loved by God. We may not be tax collectors. We may be better. We may be worse in in some estimations, but we're all forgiven because of God's love. Let's rejoice in that now. moments, We're going to be uh, hearing a missionary report. And if you can believe this early announcement, seven weeks we have our missionary conference begins. And I thought, with those two things coming, it'd be good for us to uh, be reminded of one of the songs we learned last year in our missions conference, Let Your Kingdom Come, um, about what our challenge is across the world.
2: i
3: Have someone that has a particular disability because he cannot have therapy. He doesn't have a proper wheelchair. He doesn't have a proper environment. His situation will deteriorate. So they cannot sit down. No. I see the parents. said this doomed uh, feeling. His name is Alfredo. He's uh, United's, uh, United's uh, dad. The parents feel that uh uh, they cannot do anything for the children and that uh, no one cares. With the
4: help of friends like you, we provide desperately needed mobility to boys and girls with disabilities around the world. We give the love of God in a practical way because I tell you, there are a lot of wheelchairs, but they're used, sitting, collecting dust in garages, basements, and they can have a new lease on somebody else's life. And so our volunteers across the country, they collect those chairs, we get them to prisons, then Christian physical therapists and seating mechanics take those restored wheelchairs to developing nations and they perfectly hand fit them. We just don't drop them off on the dock. For a child, a proper fitting wheelchair can even prevent scoliosis or other secondary disabilities. We bring trained physical therapists and seating mechanics, and we bring specialized wheelchairs, pediatric, child-sized, junior-sized, adult, you name it, and our therapists and seating mechanics properly fit each wheelchair to each disabled child and adult. Sometimes it takes four or five hours to perfectly fit that chair to a disabled child or an adult in Romania or Ghana or Ukraine or Peru wheeled down many bleak hallways and turned the corner into many dark bedrooms in places of poverty around the world. But never a situation so impoverished as Lenore. Um, When I turned into her bedroom and saw that little body, skin and bones, covered with sores, my heart broke. But oh, I was so glad at once to know that God had brought us here. He did not leave this young woman abandoned. No, he brought wheels for the world to her house. And it was so exciting to see the smile on her face when she was lifted into that wheelchair, a new wheelchair that, for her, will mean that she can go to church, she can come out into the fresh air of her backyard. And I think you can see, from the smile on her face, how much that wheelchair means to her.
5: All right, let's make sure he's sitting back. Yep. Okay. Oh, this is just right for him. Look at that. What topped it off for me was the fact that um, I was talking to his father, and his wife is pregnant with her fourth child. Um, I said, "What well, did you pick up a name for the baby? And he said, because he received the wheelchair, um, we are going to call him David Emmanuel, because Emmanuel means God with us. And he certainly... Uh, Knows that the wheelchair comes from God. Because this is why we do this. We come to give the hope of Christ, to give. Uh, it is not us, the Americans, that bring the wheelchair to them. It is God that touches their lives and changes their lives. And certainly, they saw that. And that, to me, it was just the icing on the cake. Okay, This chair is certainly way too deep for him. Right. So he really would benefit from
1: so benefit it. Better. So... So one chair fits all. Does not work?
5: No, certainly not. Okay.
1: No. So it is we important to come into these to areas to find the wheelchair that is appropriate for the person and to mm-hmm. and to seat them.
5: Certainly, and uh, do the appropriate adaptations to best serve him. And we uh, have to think about the future and how he's going to grow. How he's going to grow. And uh, in, the
1: value of his life.
5: Exactly, exactly. Among the many chairs that we received uh, to distribute, it was one that was exactly perfect for Franklin. And only God knows that. We don't know that. He, he's the one in control. So this chair... Had everything that Franklin needed. Only God that those things.
4: We pray a special
2: blessing over this chair.
5: We okay. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> if he cries, you can rock him and he will probably laugh. Yeah. Okay. Good evening, everyone. I um, have the opportunity to uh, go with uh, Johnny and Friends and Wheels for the World to uh, do another outreach and be able to deliver wheelchairs to handicapped people. So I want to thank you for all your support and your prayers. And uh, I wanted to show you in different ways in which the Lord was able to answer every single one of the prayers. Um, The... um, one of the prayers we had was that um, all of the chairs would arrive and that they would be able to clear customs. And um, here I was able to minister in the city of Trujillo in Peru this year. And um, here you can see all of the wheelchairs. They arrived all packaged, and then the first day we arrived there, we need to unwrap them and try to check them one by one, make sure that all of them are in good-fitting um, condition. We have no idea what chairs are going to arrive, and, um, and we don't know what patients are going to be receiving the wheelchairs, and God, that's all the matching. And so then we classify them by size and type and uh, the mechanics as well as the therapists need to look at every single part of each wheelchair and we had about 100 to 175 to 200 chairs um, at the beginning of the week that we were able to just look and see if they're all in good condition in order to be able to give them or do any repairs that could be done ahead of time so that we can give that wheelchair away um uh, the teams are composed of a support person that you know is somebody who is willing to do anything that is necessary um, mostly many times are women that are the spouses of the mechanics um, then we have wheelchair mechanics that are men that are good with tools basically and um, and have love for the lord and then physical therapy so um, it, uh, those form a team, and uh, so in that way, with those teams, we can assess different individuals. So here are all of the uh, support teams setting up and getting ready. Um, as you see, you know we we have to buy foam and and uh, and vinyl and and all kinds of things in order to be able to make all the adaptations necessary for the chairs. Uh, there is nuts, bolts, and all kinds of pieces. You should see the luggage that the mechanics bring; it's just unbelievable the way they carry with them to bring all all of the supplies necessary. We also have a work woodwork, woodworking station uh, because we um, sometimes need to make wooden frames for the wheelchairs, and also we have um, some that is called a sliding board that in many of these countries they don't have, and it's basically something to make a bridge between the wheelchair and the bed because many of these um, families uh, badly lift their individual that is um, disabled because they don't have any way to transfer them from the bed to whatever surface they need to go. So we um, make those sliding boards and teach them how to use them. Um, um, uh, another one of the prayers that um, I, I shared in my in my prayer letter was that uh, we would work together well with the Peruvian team because there is always a local team with whom we work and we were praying that we would have enough translators and enough uh, volunteers to help us um, do the work together and I tell you I think this was one of my best trips I ever did because the team in this city of Trujillo were just unbelievable, the love that they have for the Lord and how we were able to work and share together. So every morning, uh, we would sing together, um, and then we would pray. uh, The the local pastor would give a devotional, and then we would pray together and start the day. And then we had different working stations, and uh, because the team was so large this year, we were able to have about six working stations, you know. So that means we had six therapists, six mechanics, six um, uh, support um, individuals. And so that allowed us to be able to spend a whole lot more time with each individual that we serve. Um, so here's we are um, listening to the devotion of the pastor. Um, and, um, and here's how the ladies make the cushions. They have um, you know, a pattern, and then with a yeah, carving knife, we cut the foam, and we do all kinds of things. We glue things together. I mean, it's amazing all of the different adaptations that they can make. Um, these are some of the wheelchair covers that Melissa um, uh, worked with a bunch of ladies here from the church, and I'm so grateful that you guys did so many cushion covers and, and bags to hang in the back of the wheelchairs so once the cushion is made we put them in those covers and that, so that the patient can be more comfortable um, here's another set of uh, cushion covers that are, were used for this little young man to have more support laterally and I think those are the ones that uh, Diane nearly made and so it's just nice to be able to see the work and, and how you guys touch the lives of individuals over in Peru Um, here the mechanics are making also adaptations Um, we even had a chance this time to even make um, straps for a prosthesis. There was this gentleman that came for a wheelchair and then um, we noticed that the suspension system in the prosthesis was not working well at all. Therefore, the leg was not very useful for him. So this gentleman on the left, Larry, he's a physical therapist specializes in amputations. And, um, And the other gentleman is actually a CEO of a company in California, but he's excellent with tools. So he's one of the mechanics. And those two guys Went to town and started refabricating the um, the, uh, the the strap for the wheelchair. So the slogan for the T-shirts that we had this year was, it's not about the wheelchairs because, of course, it's about Christ, you know, but it's more than just the wheelchairs, right? Now we have an opportunity to even make straps for um, for a leg. So there are the guys working very hard, and they spent hours on it, you know, and the patient was patiently waiting, and so here is the final product. He has his wheelchair and his leg with a good strap. So um, it was a joy to do that. We do a lot of um, adaptations for proper foot support and so here we are working with this gentleman that was in a car accident he came also without shoes and um, one of the uh, team members this year that also came as a mechanic for the first time is a gentleman that is pretty well-off, and he bought I don't know how many dozens and dozens of shoes to bring and just to give out in Peru. And they were all held in customs because there was too many to bring. And so it wasn't until the last day that after a lot of prayer and work, you know, it was finally released. So on Friday, it was the last day of the distribution. All of the shoes came out, you know, so everybody that came in got shoes. And this family was thrilled to have shoes for their um, for their loved one. Um, we make adaptations for foot plates as well. This gentleman had an amputation. And, uh, and so he couldn't rest that stump pretty well. So then we made adaptations for the foot rest that way as well. Um, and uh, the same for this little girl. Um, and then um, this little um, young lady, Eliana, um, she was 31 years old and... Um, She had never had a wheelchair in her whole life. She came in a baby carriage with uh, wedged in this way with her bottom and the hands and the the, the legs hanging on the side of the bar because it's the only way that the family could transport her. And um, because of her deformity, she needed a lot of work and a lot of adaptation, so we had to make something special. Her legs crossed like this, and so we had to create something to support her legs so that they wouldn't press against one another and create breakdown. Um, And uh, so here we are measuring and cutting and doing all the things that are necessary. Um, And uh, we also found a leftover headrest for another wheelchair. And we used that to make a cradle for her legs and to put it across. And there you see what a difference and the comfort that she has. And uh, here is the whole team that worked with her and the final product with the wheelchair. And what a difference for this young lady to be able to have that. Um, And then, because we had such a large team, um, we were able to spend more time with each individual, so we get a chance to share with them and listen to their stories to see, um, you know, why do they need the wheelchair, what happens in their lives, how did they have a disability, and and where their heart is. And so we share with them the the story of Johnny and give them a book in their language that has been translated in many languages, but so in this case, we give it in Spanish. And and then... um, uh, we share with them the, the uh, gospel bracelet, you know, and, and share with them what it means. And uh, it was nice to be able to have the opportunity. And me being able to speak both languages is a great blessing to be able to connect easier with the people directly, without having to use an interpreter. Um, and then we pray with the individuals before, um, once we listen to their stories and see where their heart is and, and what their needs are, we pray that the Lord would guide us to the right wheelchair for them because, as I said, we don't know what wheelchairs we have and we don't know what individuals would come, and we have all these 100 and some wheelchairs in the back and we have to go back and try to find the right one. Um, so we pray for them. And then... Um, We pray after we give the wheelchair so that they know that it's the Lord the one that has intervened on their behalf and to thank the Lord for the work that he has done. This young man, Jariel, he came in, in that chair in a terrible posture. He had had, he's 20 years old, had a, an accident. When he was seven. He was run over by a car. And so here we are evaluating him and see what his needs are, making adaptations for the wheelchair that we're going to give him and, um, and the joy that he has to have the proper posture right there. Um, and the story of this, Stephanie, I wanted to share because it's amazing how God works regardless of time. Um, this little girl was 15 years old, had a brain tumor, and, uh, and needed a very specialized chair because she had a severe scoliosis with a lot of deformity. And by then, it was Thursday, and of course, being Friday, the last day of the outreach, a lot of the wheelchairs just had already gone. The therapist I was working with her was struggling, trying to find the proper chair, and said... Let, you know, come with me. Let's let's see what we can find. So we went back and we kept looking, and it, it was a moment that you know, it's almost like God illuminating this particular chair. I said, "This is the chair for her," and so we brought it out. You know, put the this young la- lady in the wheelchair, and. It was just perfect. And if you see how this chair is so molded, just to think that another child here in the United States, I don't know how many years back, maybe two, three years back, uh, used this chair, had the exact same deformity that this young lady had for that chair to fit her just so perfectly. Only God can do those things. Um, And so here is the final product. We only had to do just a little cushion and a couple of adjustments and that was it for her. So it was just a God moment. Um, and then this last story is about Marcela and Marcela is the lady in purple right there sitting to the gentleman in the wheelchair the gentleman in the wheelchair, his name is Jose and he has Parkinson's and she is um, his daughter-in-law and he She brought him to bring a wheelchair. And so he wasn't even my patient, and this young lady in the front, um, oriental-looking, she was the physical therapist, young, a little bit inexperienced, so she needed a little help, and she called me in, in the case and see if I could help. And so I said, what kind of chair can we put this gentleman that was very rigid with his... Um, end-stage Parkinson. He wasn't talking, had a flat affect. And um, so we worked, trying to find, we found the right wheelchair. And then as I worked with him, I realized that he has more ability. They were bodily lifting this poor man from, you know, the bed to a surface. And he could really stand up, and I was able to find these things out. And uh, so I was teaching the the daughter-in-law how to do that. And she couldn't believe now how much easier the transfers would have been. And then I was teaching her how to put the leg rest on the chair and, you know, to fold it and unfold it and, you know, all those things. And as she's trying to put it on, she says, but I'm sorry, I I can't see. She couldn't see the pegs to match the hole, you know, into the leg rest. And so those benefits of having, of understanding the language that God allowed me to hear that. And, of course, immediately God brought to mind that another team member had brought several of those glasses that you buy in CVS that we call cheaters, you know, to just do. So I ran over to the suitcase where those glasses were, grabbed it, brought it to her, and put it on her, and she started bawling her eyes out. She says, I can see. I can see. I didn't think I could ever be able to see again. And I said... Um, God knows our needs even before, but I came here for him, not for me. And you're giving me this. You already gave me enough with a wheelchair. And I said, God knows our hearts. He knows what we need even before we ask God. So that's why, you know, God cares for you and loves you. I said, you know, I started to share with her um, the, the gospel bracelet and telling her about the, the God that loves us and cares for us so much. And so then... You know, I said to her, do you want to accept the Lord as your Savior? And she said, yes. And that was so special for me because all of these many years that I've gone on these trips, I never had the chance to personally lead somebody to the Lord. And that was one of my secret, you know, prayer requests, you know, that the Lord would allow me to do that. He did. So he's so good. And so the lady accepted the Lord. And the mechanic that was working with us um, in, um, in the previous picture, the gentleman behind the, this Japanese-looking girl, he was the mechanic. And he said, you know, Veronica, I am sensing that we need to pray for her father-in-law as well. And I said, okay. So I said, you lead the prayer. I'll translate for you. I said, okay. So he prayed, you know, prayed the sinner's prayer for the, this man who had not said a word or an expression for a whole hour and a half that we were with him. And then he said, um, um, do you understand what we... Just, yeah, he prayed the sinner's prayer with him. Said, do, you, do you understand what we just prayed for, and do you believe that that is true? And the man, his eyes lit up and smiled from year to ear and said yes. So he also accepted the Lord. So both of them were able to accept the Lord and... Um, and, and, and the, you know, all that because of a pair of glasses and a wheelchair. So it was just a joy to be able to en- enlarge the kingdom. So thank you so much for your support and your prayers. I appreciate it. <laughs>
6: How'd you say all that so quickly, Veronica? <laughs> Thank you, that was, God is great, and he? We have the privilege tonight of praying for uh, Judy traveling. Uh One further update that you can add to the list that's in the bulletin is that she's going to be traveling to Uganda uh, in a few days to, uh, to facilitate one of the workshops. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's a privilege and an honor to pray for my friend, Judy. Thank you for her love for you and her love for your people in Kenya. Father, we thank you for the new director, Mr. Mugathi. We pray for wisdom for him and a smooth transition into his new position. Thank you for the new personnel arriving this month and for the several workshops that are planned. We pray for safety in travel and wisdom as Judy travels to Uganda In a few days and facilitates one of those workshops. We pray, Father, as she walks with you each day, that you would give her wisdom, strength, stamina for your glory. And now, Father, as we give back a small portion of all you've given us, take these offerings and use them to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you, Melissa. Great song of praise to the Lord. And Veronica, thank you. That was so exciting. Didn't know we were going to have a movie star on top of it. Please join me for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so very, very much for the excitement of being part of your family and seeing the things that you're doing both here and around the world. And thank you that even as this morning we were thinking about those who are unfortunate, those that many would consider unlovely, thank you that we saw you loving them. Thank you that we saw you loving them through your people. And I pray that you'd help us even now as we look more to your word, that you would help us to practically be better equipped to live lives the way you want us to. And we would thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to finish our study of First Samuel. We have one last chapter, chapter 31, 13 verses that we're going to be looking at in just a few moments. The last time we were together studying 1 Samuel, we were in chapter 30, and you may recall that David was rescuing his people from the Amalekites. But now we're going back before that because at the end of chapter 29, we had... Saul being given some very bad news about something that was going to happen. And I just wanted to get us thinking in this direction. Uh, You've heard a lot of these kind of things before, but you know it's going to be a bad day when... And I'm going to share a couple of thoughts here. You know it's going to be a bad day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. You know it's going to be a bad day when you turn on the evening news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. You know it's going to be a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday. (laughs) When you have to sit down to brush your teeth in the morning. When you wake up to the soothing sound of running water and remember that you just bought a water bed. (laughs) Going to be a bad day when you find the bird singing outside your window is a vulture. Or your income tax refund check bounces. Or you put both contact lenses in the same eye. Or you call your wife and tell her that you would like to eat out tonight and when you get home there is a sandwich on the front porch. Or the restaurant check has been on the table for 10 minutes and no one has touched it. Your doctor tells you that you're allergic to chocolate chip cookies. You know it's a bad day when that happens. When you have to borrow from your visa to pay off your MasterCard. When your kids start treating you the same way you treated your parents. Saul knew he was going to have a bad day in the scripture that we're about to look at because God told him so through Samuel coming back from the grave to deliver a message to Saul that was not going to be very pleasant for him. And if you will turn back, I know you're probably at 1 Samuel 31, but just back a little bit to 1 Samuel 28... And verse 19 these words coming from the Lord through Samuel to Saul moreover the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me remember he was dead the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines all of that was predicted to occur very, very quickly, and Saul knew that he was in for a very bad day. Two weeks ago, we pictured David as a skydiver with a faulty parachute plummeting toward the ground. We pictured God graciously and lovingly rescuing him from that fall. Tonight, we can also picture someone plummeting toward the ground, but it's Saul tonight. He's got a faulty parachute But with no rescue. I can summarize chapter 31 in one word splat. That's the condensed version. But that's what's going to happen to Saul. Let's read about it. Chapter 31, 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth-shan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead, and you may recall that early in our study in 1st Samuel that... Saul was able to rescue those from Jabesh-Gilead. When they heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. And one of the things that I want us to be able to see that's going on here. We see that here is a man who was involved in a lot of sin, Saul. And he's on a downward fall, and he keeps falling and falling and falling, and there's no rescue. On the other hand, here's a man by the name of David, and David is involved in a lot of sin, and he's plummeting downward. He's able to be saved by God. Later on, David will be involved in some what we would consider grave sins, and yet he's considered a man after God's own heart. He's considered to be somebody that God smiles on. What is the difference between David and his sins and Saul and his sins? Two sinners involved in great sin going in two completely different directions. One getting rescued and the other really just going splat, as I said before, because his parachute never did open. Why did they experience different conclusions Both of these men were self-destructing, but David was able to stop short of destroying himself. Saul's demise was clearly pictured in the ultimate act of self-destruction, that of suicide. Saul became his own murderer. It's never justified to escape temporal punishment or suffering or disgrace to despise God's gift of life. I want to make that, that's not the key point in this story here, but it is one that needs to be made. Anytime we look at a suicide, we need to make sure, because people often are thinking about self-destruction, it is not of God in any way. It's never justified to directly rebel against God's authority to try to sneak the keys of life and death away from him. Life and death are God's call. It's never the right answer to give up and destroy the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And we see in the case of Saul... His destruction didn't happen in a day. He was completing something he'd started a long time before, and we're going to try to trace his path of self-destruction. It'll be kind of a summary of the second half of the book of First Samuel. Uh, you're going to need to be very, very quick with me tonight. Are you? Really quick? How many of you feel really quick? You're going to be able to just go bang, 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 and you're willing to do some homework. That's why we have the outline sheets. You'll be able to uh, see some of the passages I'll only be able to allude to tonight. But you'll see that Saul's path of self-destruction is one that didn't happen in a day or two. But it began and continued and continued. Looking at some scriptures, first of all, along this path. The first one I'd like to ask you to turn with me to, First Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel 13, I'm going to read all of this. I'm only going to read all of a couple of these passages, a couple of long ones in the beginning. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, as we start out. My Bible has this section titled, Saul's Unlawful Sacrifice. You may recall that. It's been a long time since we've been back there in chapter 13. But this is a case where he failed to wait for Samuel. Samuel told him that he would be along, but he failed to wait. It says he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. Now, remember, he was not a priest. It was not legal for him to do this. It was not lawful. It was something that God certainly in his law forbade, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul was out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that... And I'm going to mention this now because later we're going to see this. There is buck passing and there are excuses that are going to be made. And here we see that Saul is an expert at doing this. He's going to blame everything on somebody else. It was his fault, his decision. He's the one that disobeyed. But he says, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, so so far there are three different groups or individuals that he's blamed, none of them being himself, and this is part of his character, and, and we'll see this again later. But he said, when I saw all of this, that everybody was messing up, verse 12, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, And I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, that would be David. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, this, among many other incidents that we're going to see in the next couple of moments, this stood out along with the next one as those areas that began this downward spiral. This began a life of disobedience, and it got worse and worse and worse. So he failed to wait for Samuel. He was afraid. He was impatient. He substitutes his own understanding for God's, and he blames everybody else except himself. Now, one other passage i want to look to at length, and that's 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we'll pick this story up in verse 7. You may recall that this is when the Israelites were told to fight against the Amalekites, and they were not to take any booty, no spoils, nothing along that line. And I'm going to to read and skim through some of these with you. And Saul, verse 7, defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he was told to kill everybody. But he took Agag alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But... Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, which, again, they had been commanded to do. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. In other words, uh, we're going to get everything that is best and we're going to give God the leftovers. That's, that's, that was their attitude. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He was lying. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. Notice, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, not Saul, the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Not the Lord our God. He's blaming God here too. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Notice all the eyes here. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And then Samuel had these terrible words to say to him. As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Now we'll stop there. This is a terrible beginning to a path of destruction that we're going to see, and we're going to do this in a very few moments. Next thing we see is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, and you won't need to turn here, but it tells us in verse 13, the spirit rushed on David, but it says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul was now in a lot of trouble because he was on his own. God was not working with him anymore, and when Saul was on his own, look at what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and verses 8 through 15. It tells us there that he was jealous and he was afraid of David because David had success in battle. He tried to pin him to the wall twice with his spear. I don't believe that Saul could be as bad a spear thrower as we're going to see in the next moment or two, but I, I've got to believe that God was involved in this in some way. So Saul's path of destruction, continuing on, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 17 through 29. Saul used his daughters to try to kill David, and it tells us that he became even more afraid of David. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, he told Jonathan and all of his attendants to kill David. 1 Samuel 19, verses 9 and 10, Saul tries to pin David to the wall again with his spear. shish people was considered a violation of the law, by the way. In First Samuel chapter 19 verses 11 through 17, Saul sent men to kill David in his home, and Michael, his wife, Saul's daughter, let him down through the window at that particular time. And that path of self-destruction continues, according to the scriptures. As we look at First Samuel chapter 20, verse 31, Saul realized David was a rival to the throne. And that meant trouble because 1 Samuel 20, verse 33, Saul threw a spear this time at his son Jonathan because Jonathan was sympathizing with David. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 through 19, Saul killed all the priests at Nob because they had sheltered and taken care of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, actually 23, 24, 25, 26, Saul is constantly hounding David chasing him all over everywhere, trying to kill him. And then we continue on. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 5, Saul saw Philistines, and it says he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. He disobeyed God and went to a medium instead to try to find out what was going to happen with all these Philistines who were gathering. And then in 1 Samuel 28, verses 16 through 20, Saul heard S- Samuel's doomsday message, and it tells us that he was filled with fear. Now, if you notice, and I won't go back over it, but so many of those verses said how frightened Saul was over just about everything, and we'll pick that up in just a moment. And then in the chapter where we are right now, 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul committed the ultimate act of self destruction, that of suicide a path of self-destruction that started out with some things that maybe don't seem quite as bad as some of the other things, but it started out with him sacrificing when he wasn't supposed to and violating God's direct command to destroy Agag and all of the, the animals and everything else that they had. A couple of observations, very briefly. Saul never showed any real repentance, and certainly that hastened his self-destruction he never showed any real repentance every once in a while he would say he was sorry for something but he was really sorry for having been caught in what he was doing first samuel chapter 15 verse 30 then he said i have sinned yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before israel he wasn't accepting consequences he says yes i've sinned but honor me before the people samuel come and speak a good word for me And return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God and we've seen already he was very very good at passing the buck we've outlined some of these verses already it wasn't me it wasn't my fault it was the fault of the people always the people and if it wasn't the people it was you Samuel and if it wasn't you Samuel it was the Philistines and if it wasn't the Philistines it was your God somehow who didn't come through for me but it was never his own fault never showed any real repentance. In fact, it's probably safe to say that he didn't show any repentance at all, really. And then there are other things going when he's passing the buck here in that unlawful sacrifice and that event with Agag. All of that was involved in that, as well as him making excuses, part and parcel with passing the buck. He even gave a speech In 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verses 16 through 21, he made a speech to David after David spared his life. And it's very ironic because he told David that he'd sinned in that. He'd acted foolishly. He would do him no more harm, he told him. David didn't believe him at all. David went off in the opposite direction. He didn't believe Saul because he knew he was a madman at this point. So Saul Saul never showed any real repentance People who are walking with God, excuse me, people who are not walking with God are likely to be living in fear. Think about that for a moment. Think about your own life. People not walking with God are likely to be living in fear. Saul was always afraid of one thing or another. I've mentioned many more than I'm going to mention right now again, but in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 7, all the people that were following Saul were trembling because the Philistines were coming. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, he says, Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. That's when he went into that agag situation. 1 Samuel 18, verse 12, verse 15, verse 29 tells us he was afraid of David. And it says he became even more afraid of David. And then later on, he became even more afraid of David because of David's popularity. So we see a lot that is going on that revolves itself around fear. 1 Samuel 28, verse 5 Again, he's afraid of the Philistines. And same thing in verse 20. And first, let, let, let's look at 1 Samuel twenty-eight, twenty, for just a moment. 1 Samuel 28 and verse 20. Very interesting picture. This is when he's getting the bad news about what's going to happen. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. What it's saying, you could have picked him up in the middle and he wouldn't have bent. He was stiff and frightened and in a very, very bad way. And then we see here in First Samuel chapter 31, he, he was even frightened of what the Philistines might do to him. They might torture him and they might have sport with him as he would be dying. So the last thing he thought about before he killed himself was how frightened he was about what would happen. Saul sowed the seeds of living life with no need and no regard for God. No wonder he lived in fear. In the Fundamentals of Marxism-Leninism, a textbook prepared by Soviet scholars in Moscow used by members of the Communist Party even in the USA, here's a statement that appears. Materialists do not expect aid from supernatural forces. Their faith is in man in his ability to transform the world by his own efforts and make it worthy of himself. And so for Saul, the day of retribution finally came. Interesting paraphrase in the Latin Vulgate in verse 3, it says the whole weight of the battle was directed against Saul. Other translations will say he was hard-pressed. The battle was hard-pressed around him. Now, very, very briefly, because we're more familiar with David, but let's look at David's path averting self-destruction. And again, there are scriptures, and I'll go over them briefly. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 12, David also had his times when he was afraid, his times when he wasn't walking with the Lord. He was very much afraid of Achish, the king of the Philistines. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 16 and 17, Jonathan is telling David, don't be afraid, and he helped him to find strength in the Lord. One of the differences with David is that he had people who spoke into his life words of truth. He had people who cared about him. In 1 Samuel 24 and 26, David spared Saul's life on two occasions. And in 1 Samuel 25, in between those two chapters, David was ready to destroy Nabal, but he had somebody that spoke some common sense into him, and that would be Abigail, Nabal's wife, later to be David's wife. First Samuel 27, we've talked about this in recent weeks, David's free fall. He was running away. He was disobedient. He was deceitful. He was being a part of God's enemies. And we'll see some more of his path averting self-destruction in these final observations. One observation, David showed the fruit of real repentance. If you turn with me to 1 Samuel 30, chapter 30, some real repentance going on. And we've seen this fairly recently. Notice what's happening because David, his family, and everything had been carried away by the Amalekites. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Everybody was blaming David because David had gone off to the Philistines, left everybody unprotected. Then the Philistines kicked him out of their camp. He went back only to find the mess that everything was in. And they spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, all of whom had been carried away into captivity. But, and this is the great climax of David's story, I believe, but David strengthened himself In the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And it goes on to say, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. So what is he doing now? He's not going on his own. Now he's asking God what to do. He's not doing that that independent kind of a thing that many times we do. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. And then that's exactly what happened. David shows the fruit of real repentance because he seeks the guidance of God and the strength that God can give. He's not doing it on his own any longer. David sinned, but he knew what to do next. He truly repented. He confessed his sin. You read some of the Psalms and you see some of the incidents, some of the later incidents, too, where David really sinned big time. And how he cried out to the Lord and he said, Against you and you only have I sinned. And David knew what to do with fear. He knew what to do with that fear, that fear that was almost paralyzing to Saul. And that fear was upon David in some of these incidents and some of the other ones later in his life. But he knew what to do with it. In Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, are great verses for anybody here who's dealing with fear as well because what David says there. When I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. Doesn't that sound good? You're afraid, so what do you do? You trust the Lord, but it's even better than that. In those same verses, he says, I will trust in the Lord and not be afraid. Better to start out trusting rather than to end up trusting when the fear is there. I will trust in the Lord and not be afraid. The day of rescue and reward finally came to David. I want to close with two verses. Key differences between Saul and David. Notice this account. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 is one of these. So Saul died for his breach of faith. So of all of those things that we mentioned, that long grocery list of things that he had done on the path of self-destruction, what is singled out? Two things. He died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. And that's talking about that occasion where he offered that sacrifice and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He didn't go to God in order to get the guidance that he needed. That's a key difference between Saul and why that path to self-destruction never was averted. David... 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 again. David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Do you realize that all of us have choices to make that could place us on a path to self destruction or not? Saul was on that path, David was on that path. They traveled that same path together, and then they went in divergent directions. Saul, because he sought his own guidance, did his own thing all the time. David, because he strengthened himself in the Lord and because he sought the guidance and the direction of the Lord and because he knew what to do with his fears and because he knew how important it was to confess sin, not try to excuse it nor blame someone else. There are serious implications for each one of us as we look at our lives how we deal with sin, how we avert that path to self-destruction that is so easy for us to travel on. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of First Samuel. There are so many important lessons that we were able to see in the lives of individuals. Thank you that you've told us that these stories from the Old Testament were given to us as an encouragement to us And also to give us examples, some of them good, some of them bad. Tonight we've seen one of each in the life of Saul and in the life of David. Thank you that you give to us what we need, even this guidance, even guidance for this very night, this very week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Find in your hymnal number 365 a song which is really a prayer. And um, one which speaks to God and says, God, I want to walk with you daily. I want to be close to you every day. Let's stand together and sing that in response.
0: Heavenly Father, may we practice your very presence with us as we acknowledge how close you are. For those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never so far away as to be even near. Thank you for that, and thank you for the blessing of being able to practice that presence as we go out into this world, trusting that you'll use us to bring glory to your great name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.